Okay. There we are. Okay. So it's Sunday afternoon, a little after four o'clock in the afternoon. Cat that looks like a set of mountains right now uh, is actually here on the porch, and my porch does not look like that. <laughs> And um, Daniel is in northern Thailand, and um, uh, Pedro is in Italy. Perhaps soon to come over here, or uh, Amravati, I don't know. Uh, we got a lot of people into the Dhamma now. I'm, I'm very pleased with all of you. Everything is looking very good. I'm very happy that uh, we have people who are so into the Dhamma. So... Today, uh, Daniel was asking a question about uh, the relationship of first jhana to the other jhanas. And that um, the way that I would say it would be that you can see something very clearly if you stop and investigate it. Or if you're running slow, slowly, that as it passes by, you can see things. But there's another way of talking about it, and that is that if a railroad is going by lickety split on the side of the railroad cars, are going to be a lot of names and numbers and stuff like that. And if you're standing too close to the railroad, that's dangerous. But even if you back off a little bit, you still can't see that stuff because it's moving fast too, uh, so fast because you're close to it. But if you step back a few steps, now, when that stuff goes by, you at least are in its presence long enough that you can make out the words and the numbers on the side of the train. But if you go too far away, now you can't see them anymore. So there's a range sort of in the middle. Um, let us call it the middle path of being able to see boxcar signs. So the mind is also like that. And that... Um, pointing out the middle path I know that people don't have uh, the idea because they they don't traditionally from the distinction between what we would call sensual desires and self-flagellation but the Buddha actually speaks of the middle path a little bit differently than that in the sense that uh, flagellation is a kind of a hindrance and sensual desires is a kind of a hindrance and that what the buddha was actually referring to was not sensual desires but actually is talking about its sensual pleasures and there's a difference between sensual desire and sensual pleasure why because sensual desire don't have no pleasure that's what he wants Versus the sexual pleasure is the thing that the guy already has. So having that as a distinction, we can then say that the higher jhanas are like various degrees of fulfillment of sensual pleasure. So let's look at some of the pleasures that we have in jhana. One of the pleasures is... Uh, knowledge and vision of what is and is not the path. In other words, you've got it. That solid foundation of um, uh, competence is a kind of a pleasure. 
And when you look at, uh, at what is supposed to is states of doubt, worry, frustration, trying to figure things out, that's not pleasurable. But when you have that solid rock of foundation, that you have it without a shadow of a doubt, that's great pleasure. Another kind of great pleasure would be the pleasure of that wow sensation, the top of the peak, the wow, we've got it, which is a little bit different than the, the, um, the confidence that we can do it because that wow sensation actually has to happen before we develop the confidence that I can do it over and over and over again. So that wow sensation is um, uh, a distinction on the path, which by the way, translates into the word pity. Now, um, there's a couple of ways of looking at that kind of wow sensation or pity, and that is, Here's the question, how far can a person walk into a forest? Do you know the answer to that? How far can you walk into a forest? The answer is only halfway, because once you get into the middle of the forest, the only place you can go after that is out of the forest. So that's how deep you can go into the forest is into the middle. Okay, or think about it a circle. How far can you get into that circle? The answer is to the middle of it. That's that's as far as you can go into the circle. So in that regard, we can also see, well, how high can you climb a mountain? As high as the mountain. That's as high as it is. You can't climb to the top of the mountain and then continue to climb. You can only climb to the top. And any place else you go is now going to be downhill. So the next question in that regard is how good can you feel? The answer is to the top. And then after that, you got to come downhill. You can't keep climbing into pleasure. There's a point that you reach, and then the only place to go after that is downhill. Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa talks about this. When he's talking about uh, pity has its limits. How good can you feel? Well, let's also look at the various ways that we can feel good and recognizing that just feeling satisfied has its own quality. It's not the peak. I, I refer to it sometimes as when the uh, mountaineers are climbing Mount Everest, they make a base station and they carry up all the stuff that they need and they stay at the base station. They get acclimated to the top uh, uh, high on the mountain. And then one day early in the morning, They'll t after they're ready, they've got all the gear and they're rested at the base station for a while. They'll climb to the top. How long does the mountaineer stay on the top of Mount Everest? He's not going to spend the night there. He better get off that peak. He better get up there early in the morning so he can get off of it. And where does he go? Back to the base station. Now, here's how we can use that in the uh, in the way that we're uh, thinking about is, is that sukha 
is developed in the first jhana, and su and pity is developed in the first jhana, but the pity culminates in the second jhana. Is that how good can you feel? Because what's really going on is that uh, in the first jhana we talk ourselves into how good we can feel. And the second jhana, we don't talk to ourselves about it anymore. We just experience how good that peak is. How high can it go? The answer to that is for a little while, and then you come out of it. The question is, are you which side of the mountain are you going to climb down? And the best answer to that is you got there through Sukha. The best place to go now is back into Sukha, back to the base camp. You don't want to jump off the top of the ridge and go crash landing way down there someplace. Okay, so it's Sukha to Pitti back to Sukha, which is the third jhana. And then the fourth jhana is called Upeka in the relationship of, well, how peaceful now you can go. So you've got the high, high peak of the pity. You've got the easy going, everything is marvelous kind of sukha. And then that will relax too into uh, a very, very relaxed state. And then from that, the only place after that, that relaxed state, in fact, is almost to the point of being nothing. There's nothing there. That in fact, one of the things about nothing is, is that there is no feelings in nothing. Go ahead, Daniel. Um, you, you, you saw it. Um, so my question is, is the, in the absorption jhanas, um, we already know that the first jhana is different in absorption than from the sutta jhanas. Um, no. I wouldn't say that. Okay. We're not talking about coffee, tea, and Coke. We're talking about tea, really strong tea, and oh my God, tea. Right. All right. They're not different in, um, uh, how to say it. They're not different in kind. They're only different in quality. I see. Uh, but does this also apply to the higher jhanas, like the second, third, and fourth? Because in the second jhana, you are yeah you are concentrating at the nose, right, to get into it. Not necessarily. That's just one of the ways of doing it. Okay. okay. Uh, that in that in fact, um, there may be other ways to do it. That whole idea of the nose tip, I think got screwed up someplace because the Pali is actually talking about uh, a cave. Well, if you know natural caves, you'll have an entrance to the cave. You'll have a, a small scrawl place like through the nose, but eventually it opens up into a great big cavity would be the lungs. So I look at it that way. I don't look at it um, in the regard, but there is a sutta that talks about imagine that there is a city or a, uh, a castle that's got a walled environment. It's a walled city. And that the people of the city have worked so strongly on that city walls to make sure that they are so impenetrable that not even a cat at night can get in. 
pretty strong, pretty high walls for not even a cat can get in this place. Okay. And the only way in is through the gate. And so all we have to do is guard the gate. Okay, this is where the idea then of the nose tip is guarding the breath at the gate, at the nose tip door. And that by doing that, there's also the possibility, by the way, of starting at the nose tip and kind of going down with your consciousness into the lungs on the end of the in-breath and then starting the out-breath that you come back up. Another way of, of doing it is, is that you can set um, inside the cave, in the nostril area, behind the nostrils is the brain, and the, uh, close to the uh, the nostril area is the amygdala. It's behind, directly behind the eyes, and back at the area where the throat turns to go down. And so, if you pay attention to that area, that's very soothing, because the amygdala is a source of fear. And so by watching it back there also has its own benefits. But what we're actually referring to now is instead of moving with the air or scanning and moving back and forth, we let the mind settle on just one place. So the nose tip can be used to help get into the second jhana. The nose can also be used to help getting into the third jhana, etc. Because the mind is steady now, it's focused, it can stay still. And the analogy that I use is like a camera. That if you have a shaky camera, you're going to have a shaky video. If the camera is steady, then in fact, if you've ever seen the old days in the movies when they show uh, the action scene where the guy's riding along a horse, what they do, they don't have a guy riding on a horse beside him taking the movie. They have a set of rails so that they can have a big train-like device that can keep that camera very, very steady and focused on that cowboy rider while this camera is moving down these um, rails to get a good, clear shot. And this is the kind of way we want to start developing the mind is to get it steady enough so that it can take good pictures. That for almost everybody, the mind is a blur. Why is it a blur? Is because things are moving too fast for them to get a good image. Just like standing too close back to the, your, the boxcars are coming by, and if you're standing too close, you can't read the writing on it. You're going to have to stand back and get some stability. And how do we stand back in meditation? It's not my mind I'm looking at. It's not my thoughts I'm looking at. Let's get some distance here. Let's just see thoughts as thoughts. They don't belong to me anyway. Then, in fact, most of the thoughts that you had are the kind of thoughts you had when you were in diapers. We've just got a little bit more sophisticated words for it. But that's what we think about. Whatever we were thinking about our whole life, we continued to do that. Another way of looking at it is, is that what, we have re what we've learned to repeat and to say, we've heard it from someone else. A lot of what I have to say, I didn't get it from me. I got it from Bhikkhu Buddhadasa, I got it from Achan Po, I got it from old teachers. And so I can't say that all oh, Damarato teaches this way. 
because Damarato doesn't have a way of teaching. He's a thief. It doesn't belong to him. Not entirely true. Like, uh, for example, you don't teach absorption concentration, which uh, Buddha Dasa does, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, that actually uh, makes me think of a question. Uh, what did Buddha Dasa say about um, the first jhana? Did he also think it's the pathway to enlightenment? Yes, absolutely. All for sure, right? He doesn't talk about jhanas much, though. In the literature of all the stuff that you hear from Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, all of the books, I'd like for you to show me where he actually talks about the jhanas the way that they're mentioned in the suttas or the way that I talk about them. Okay, there's a technical little rule about that. And that is that if someone says, I am of this or that, then he is close to committing a very, very severe uh, rule about not advertising who you are, especially if you're lying about it. And there were times in the time of the Buddha, I mean, all of those charlatans were saying, oh, I can do magic. They'd get kicked out of the Sangha for that. We don't lie, especially about attainments and whatnot. So that leaves the monks then with the position of, oh, I cannot talk about jhanas to lay people. I can talk about jhanas to monks. But, to, uh, but because of the possibility of uh, I'm saying things and I don't have it, or I'm implying that I have it when I don't, or even if I'm applying it, uh, 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 telling about it, implying it, giving the details, and I've got it, I still shouldn't be talking like that. That's not what the monks do. So I'm riding the razor's edge about wh which way I'm going, but I can fall easy enough because I'm a layman now, so I can talk about it. And Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, being a monk, kind of avoided those kind of things. He talks a lot about how to get into those states, but he doesn't talk about it so much, about being in those states and what they're like. Not out loud in public, not in Thai language over the loudspeakers, but behind closed doors with the monks, certainly. And in that regard, first jhana is it because you cannot stay and remain in fourth jhana and have a life. You can't drive a car. You can't even go on Pendabot in the fourth jhana. You're going to have to come back to a usable position, which requires you to think, which means it requires for you to perceive reality and deal with it. That only in those fourth jhanas can you do that in uh, in isolation, seclusion, and whatnot, because you're non-functioning. Then, in fact, one of the stories that I have heard and had to deal with is that people who are in those kind of states sometimes get bitten by snakes. Why? Because there the guy is sitting in that state, and this snake comes up, crawls in his lap for the warmth, and is enjoying the sunshine, and he wakes up, and the snake wakes up and sees that he's awake, his seed's alive, he may strike. Um, there was an Indian kid who was very famous, uh, oh, 
15 years ago, 20 years ago, his his actual um, uh, out name, they called him the Buddha boy. And he was in many different uh, newspapers um, uh, keeping track of him. And one time he did get bit by a snake. Why did he get back by a snake? It's because he was in a state like the fourth jhana where he's not paying attention to sensory input anymore. Then in fact, the connection between the sensory input and our ability to deal with sensory input is gotten very loose. This is what we mean by neither perception nor non-perception. This is very loose. The example that's in um, the Sudhimaga that describes this is imagine a clay bowl that has been filled with oil. Like um, uh, a, a lamp, you know, an oil lamp that had the, the clay thing. Okay, so after the oil is burned out, that oily bowl it has so little oil or no oil in it, you can't use it to start a fire, but the bowl itself is still saturated with oil. You might even be able to rub a cloth on it and rub oil off and then rub another clean cloth on it and rub oil off. It seems like forever you can still get oil out of that bowl, but you can't get enough other than the evidence that there's got oil in it. This is what we would mean then about you have enough consciousness and enough perception that you know through perceiving that you have consciousness, but there is a state that you can go to, which would be called nothing, which is when the perception is completely disassociated um, from consciousness. Now, when we're talking about this, we're talking about it in two different frames of reference that are closely tied. One frame of reference is the Paticca Samapada. We're talking about the Vinaya and the Sanya and the uh, Nama Rupa and the Sankara relationships that bring out the Salayatana. But we're also talking about the fourth jhana. Sorry, uh, what is uh, Salayatana? Salayatana is, in fact, what you come up with. It's one of the forms of consciousness. There's actually two forms of consciousness. One form of consciousness is like eye consciousness. I see the tree. I see the object. I see the grass. Okay. Even by naming it tree and grass, I'm doing a little perception. But to do a whole lot of perception and come up with a great big thing, we can use the other kind of consciousness that would be called, I see what you mean. In other words, it's an understanding. It's not only that you see something, but you grasp it, you put a handle on it, you make a sign of it. But you can, in fact, start uh, perceiving things without naming them. You can leave Rupa as Rupa. You don't have to name it. You don't have to put a sign on it. This is what we would call freedom by signless. Ah, okay, that's where that one comes in. The signless then is stop naming things and just let it come in as process. But we can stop the processing and the processing actually is the word perception. We take a rupa, the visual or the, uh, the sensation or the sensory input, and we try to make sense out of it. Like, for instance, oh, my knee hurts. 
what's wrong with the knee? And so we start perceiving this and that, and maybe I can get a walker or maybe I can get this, that, and the other thing is all perception. The reality and, and the Saliantana is the coming up with, oh, my knee hurts. That's Saliantana. The actual first consciousness was a sensation in the knee, a sensation of pressure, a sensation of, um, uh, oh, tightness, a, a sensation of, hey, I don't, I don't know how to say, I mean, it, putting a voice to it, but it's a sharp sensation. I won't say a sharp pain because naming it as a pain, that's signing it again. And because of that signing, because of that knowledge of pain, also brings on the feeling of, I don't like it. But if I leave it at mere sensation and stop perceiving about what knees are supposed to be like and let this one be the way that it actually is, now I'm not going to give myself any hatred or unhappiness or any feelings about it. But this is why in that Sutta number 111, that one that winds up being so important, the one by one as they occur is when Sariputta got to the end of it, when he found what's the end? The end is, is that when you can stop perception, you can stop feeling. The end of feeling and perception. If you stop perceiving, if you stop telling yourself stories and leave things as they are, as they are input, then feelings don't happen. But you can also go all the way and disconnect the uh, uh, sanya from the vinya, which means that we are no longer even perceiving any input at all. That's when we get into the state of nothing. But in the state of nothing, guess what is nothing is there is no thoughts, no feelings. There's nothing to it. That's the joke. That there is nothing to it. There's nothing there. Why is that? Is because now the camera is so steady that the light itself slows down to a crawl. Now, I'm not talking about physics in this state. I'm talking about the sensory input is no longer being looked at, that the mind has gotten so quiet and so steady. But we don't stay in these states for long. If you stayed in that state of nothing, they might come, put you in the paddy wagon, take you to the hospital, hook you up to a whole lot of stuff, and then take your body down to the morgue, and here you are waking up out of that state of nothing and a body bag. I read a story of the... Yeah, so that happened to someone that he was like in an ambulance or something because they thought he had died. That resuscitated him, like even the EMPs couldn't find like uh, signs of life. You can stay in for like seven days, right? Back in the 1800s, they were crazy about this. One of the things that they would sell as an, um, let's say, an option to a casket. Yeah was that it had a stick that would run up and stay out of the ground with a bell on it. And the guy in the coffin, if he actually got buried, had their funeral, he's dead in the box, and then he wakes up. How's he going to tell anybody that he's six feet under? They have that bell, and he can pull that thing and ring that bell, and people will know, you know. And so that's why you don't want to be in a graveyard at night, is because the bells might start to ring. 
That's the old superstition because you see in those old days, they didn't have good tests for when someone was dead. What would they do? They would check pulse. Well, pulse can get very weak. You can have very, very low blood pressure and you cannot tell what the pulse is, but the heart's still beating. But they're checking the pulse, you see. They're not checking as the heart beating, they're checking pulse. Another one would be that they would put a mirror or a piece of glass aside the nose so that if any moisture was being breathed out, then the person was alive. Well, it's possible to breathe so shallowly that you don't cause any condensation on the mirror. So here you are with very, very low blood pressure and you're breathing very shallowly. Sounds like the fourth jhana to me, but it also sounds like unconscious to me. It sounds like people are actually pretty close to death. If they're not breathing and they've got no pulse, what do you expect for the old time doctors a hundred years ago to do? Now we've got better equipment. We've got better blood pressure machines. We've got better uh, analysis to tell whether a person is just a piece of meat or whether he's a, uh, a living piece of meat. So the fourth jhana is actually very similar to being unconscious out of it, except it's controllable because you went into it intentionally and you can come out of it intentionally if you want to. But it's also quite possible that once you get into the fourth jhana, it don't matter what happens, you don't want to come out of it. You're happy right there. It is a very, very pleasant state. What's the, uh, what's the purpose of uh, staying in cessation for like uh, six, seven, eight, nine days? Oh, but it's a great big high Buddha kind of thing to do, guys. You got to go do it simply because it's in a book. That's what's really with the Westerners. You're asking the right question. So frigging what? Why should you intentionally go into a comatose state? Ah, if you're watching what's going on, you can actually see how the mind works closely in fact it's almost like you can't avoid it it's like, kind of like slapping you in the face now back to the issue of the vipassana jhanas and the first jhana the first jhana is that which needs to be well developed so that you could be in the first jhana uh in the morning you can be at first jhana when the flat tire you could be at first jhana when you get arrested you can be in first jhana when you're dealing with a christian you can be in first jhana when the uh uh, uh the swat team comes you can be in the first jhana when you got your face in the mud and your hands are being tied behind you you can do these things you don't have to get into a state of i hate you because you're doing this to me we can stay in that state of, hey, friend, yeah, go ahead and hog tie me. That's what you want to do. Take me down to the police station. We'll figure out what I do with you in court next year. I'll own your butt, but you can go ahead and do it if you want to. Go ahead, hog tie me. Put me in handcuffs. Okay, so this is the kind of attitude that we can have, but very few people have that kind of attitude. They say, oh, you cannot do that to me. Oh, you can't not arrest me. Oh, I'm a special person. 
right? Nobody likes getting arrested. Nobody likes having flat tires. Nobody likes getting divorced. Nobody likes that kind of stuff unless you learn to control your mind through the first jhana. Now, in the second, third, and fourth, you can have a flat tire, but you don't know that you've got a flat tire, and you could care less if you did know it. So this first jhana is the actual place that we can live our lives. Happily dealing with the shit. Because we don't see it as shit anymore. We see it as just another game to play. Death? Sure, death's just, I haven't died before, guys. I don't know what death's like. I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm getting pretty close now. Hot diggity dog, I'm going to die. <laughs> no, people don't think like that. They're afraid to die. They don't want to die. And so they cannot maintain the first jhana when they're talking about or thinking about death. They think about it in the fear, in the remorse, in the guilt, and all those negative, unwholesome qualities. Can you stay and handle anything in first jhana? So, with that said, if your um, first jhana is strong and stable and unperturbable, that means that you can visit these other jhanas easily enough. Why? Because the mind is already uh, leaning in the state of pleasure, of joy, of happiness, of relaxation. So going into deep relaxation, going through opaka, is easy enough to do in the first jhana and then come back out. So here's the difference is, is that when you're in first jhana, we can visit these other jhanas because we've got a solid foundation of first jhana that we can call the Vipassana jhanas. It's like being able to have a camera that's looking at a distant event, but you keep taking pictures and taking pictures and taking pictures and taking pictures from different angles, you'll begin to get a good composite of what you're actually photographing. But the fourth jhana is like getting right there up on it so that you can really take a close look. Ah, that means then that if I can get into fourth jhana and sustain it one good time, I can take a good close look, figure out how the mind works. I don't need to go into fourth jhana anymore. I can see it easy enough. Okay, whack, I see perception. I can see it. I can see what it does. I can see that I don't live in a real world. I live in a world I perceive. And my perception is built upon my past. So if I can have a whole lot of present in my perception, then my um, salayatana or my understanding of reality is very close to reality. But we could do that from first jhana. We don't have to get slapped in the head with how the mind works. We can figure that out if we have the stability of the first jhana to begin to inspect the mind and notice the mind and be able to see the mind and recognize, oh, right now I don't have to perceive. And because I don't perceive, I don't create. And because I don't create, my creation doesn't touch me. And because the creation doesn't touch me, I don't have feelings about it. Now, that's the steps right there in Paticca Samuppada. From consciousness through Nama Rupa into Salayatana, the salayantana then touches us, pasa, it contacts us. Reality does not contact you. Your vision of reality contacts you. And that's what gives rise to feelings. Is it, is it really, 
is it really only necessary to see it one time, like when you completely see it? Yeah, but I'm talking, I'm saying see it one time like a kick of a mule. You don't learn anything from the second kick of a mule. You got everything about mule kicks the first time you got kicked. (laughs) Okay. But with the first Johnny, you can still figure out what a mule kick is by going through successive mule kicks. That are not a real mule kick, but it's close enough for you to figure out what a mule kick is. So. That's what I'm getting at is, is that the first jhana can be the base, but it's the base you want to be in anyway, because you cannot be in a base of fourth jhana without getting uh, in somebody's morgue or in somebody's coffin and stay there. Then, in fact, I've got a story about that. I was in Los Angeles. This was actually before I'd ever met Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, because I'd been in meditation for quite a while. In fact, in some cases, you could say that I was kind of the star of the show. So here we are living in a house, and the house uh, was kind of run by the by the this guy's daughter, and she was a lesbian, and uh, that because of that she had a lot of lesbian friends, and this was back in the uh, late 70s, where hippiness was almost over the hill. But a lot of people dressed in the kind of halfway Indian kind of stuff, you know, wearing big bloomers and wearing saris and wearing a lot of beads. And there was a lot of new agey. I mean, nowadays, new age is nothing compared to what new agey was in, in the 70s. It was full blown on tap. And I was living in a house that was full blown on tap in L.A. And I'm sitting there in the chair. Having a having a ball on the inside, the eyes were just barely open to enough that I could see the floor. But I was just cooling, man, in this inside. And here this guy comes up and sits down in a chair. I could see his feet. I could see the bottom of the chair. And he sat there. And I didn't care. I'm off in my own state. And I don't know how long he sat there, but you could tell that he was uncomfortable. Well, an hour or two later, I come back out of that state and he orders me to get out of the house. I mean, this place was a number one top dog freakout show of new agey. And I took him over the top. <laughs> he thought I was dead or something. <laughs> so that means then that going into these exotic states of uh, jhanas to where you're in such a good state that you don't give a flying rip about what's happening, that's dangerous. You need to be in a safe place to go into those kind of states. Like Daniel, you need to be in a what? Not in the 7-Eleven. <laughs> well, actually, today, for the first time, I saw a snake just outside my kuti. So it was... Uh, yeah, like if a snake would come up to me while I'm sitting outside for a few hours, that would be kind of dangerous. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So these these that's this is why those guys who are doing these kind of jhana works are normally doing it in a temple, a place that's safe, the kind of place to where the snake's going to have to go through a great big open sandy floored courtyard where a lot of people are to get to the door of this what uh, this boat in order to get in there 
And so getting in and staying in the temple is a much safer place than sitting out in the courtyard because the snakes will come into the courtyard, but they don't get a chance to get close enough to get into the door of the temple. So what about your posture? Like about uh, what? If, about your posture. Like, for example, these these people that sit for seven days, doesn't their don't they start slouching? Doesn't their back start? hurting like really really bad don't they mess up their body sitting like yes it, it it is in fact one of the stories that was well documented this is before any of us time when the british were still in india the story is and it was well documented in the newspapers the british officers were around verifying it they had not all the actual evidence that you could get and the story is that this guy was performing one of his magic tricks and they buried him alive, but it didn't bury him alive in a coffin or uh, a six foot hole that we talk about nowadays for burial. It was a big, big place, almost like a cave that was covered over the top, but it had ample breathing room and it also had ample um, um, breeze coming in, but nothing much else. At least he could breathe. And he was going to be there for seven days. Just that's the, the, the typical way of doing it. Well, guess what? War broke out during that seven days. Everybody flees. They go away. Nobody's around. Everybody's terrified. The British have occupied the place and they don't know he's in there. Okay, so now things get straightened out. They go to the, the Brits and say, hey, we've got our guru that's buried. Can we go check him out? And this was like three months later. This guy was still alive. But he didn't survive. He lived about three months after that. So three months in the hole, then three months after that, and then he's dead. Because he put himself through too much. Three months, no water. Three months, no pooping. Three months, no food. Three months, three full months, no masturbation. Well, we don't even know that part. <laughs> but you well, get the point. That, three yeah, months we, without water, that's insane. That, like, that's insane, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Almost become mummified. So those are the stories at the top end of this kind of stuff. And the question that we all have to come back and ask is, yeah, but so what? Is that what you want to do, Catelyn? No, you don't want to do that. You want to live your life. I don't want to go do that. I don't want to sit in the floor of a uh, or the basement of a meditation retreat hut and just stay there. No, I want to live my life, but I want to live it happily. I want to live it on top dog. I want to live it in, in the best genre that we can walk around in. If you, um, if you attain Nirvana, like why would, uh, do you even need to be in first genre? Because you're already cooled off. Right? Well, it goes around with that, you see, because what is Nirvana except no friction? There's nothing rubbing, that you're not resisting anything, that anything that happens, you don't resist it, you go along with it. Well, if you're resisting it, that's like friction. It causes heat. Brakes can stop cars 
because they put pressure on, and the result is not only the car slowing down, but those brakes get hot. How can you have cool brakes? Don't brake. Let the car go. All right, so this is what we begin to do is we begin to recognize I don't care whether reality is going at top speed or not. I can enjoy the show. I don't have to apply my own 10 brakes that I don't like what the world is doing. And if I'm not perceiving, then how could I possibly be applying the brakes? Brakes are always coming from feelings of liking and not liking. If you don't have any feelings about something, then we're home free. No feelings is nibbana. You will cool off if you don't have any hot feelings. Amazing, so you're huh? <laughs> you're basically automatically in first jhana because you're free from the hindrances. Well, right? I would say that if you can maintain being free from the hindrances, then what is weighing you down? What would happen if you could constantly be free, uh, um, uh, free from the hindrances means either one or two things. Because you can refer to uh, hindrances as unwholesome thoughts, then you have only two options, either to have wholesome thoughts or no thoughts at all. In the first jhana, the option is let's have some wholesome thoughts. And in the second to the fourth jhana, let's have no thoughts about it at all. In fact, we're beginning to shut down the thinking process itself. Cool, baby, cool. But that coolness can come in the first jhana because you're having positive thoughts. Remember that the friction and the heat comes from the negative, unwholesome thoughts. So being free from negative, unwholesome thoughts in first jhana, that is the starting of nibbana. But things can get cooler and cooler and cooler because, as you remember, that that pity, that wow sensation, that takes heat, that takes energy. It's great, but it's active. And that can cool off down to being satisfied. And then the cool off from the satisfying would be complete rest or at complete peace. And so there's various degrees of nibbana. That in fact, when somebody's angry and you tell them to cool off, that means go ahead and have all the unwholesome thoughts about your enemy that you won't. Just don't be angry with them. So that's the form of nirvana. Just stop being angry. You can be pissed off, but that's not angry. And so pissed off is a kind of coolness compared to angry, but being pissed off is really hot compared to being friendly. And so uh, nirvana, like everything else, is a cooling down process. The question is, when are things going to be cool enough? Do you have to be in the fourth jhana to feel cool, or can't you do that in the first jhana? You've got enough cool already. Cool, baby, cool. So you can yeah, have that a... in the first jhana. This is why the Buddha does say, and it's easily to understand, that the first jhana is the path to enlightenment because you can't be in third and fourth jhana all the time. What's your option for being in the first and fourth jhana? Because you can't do it all the time. What's your back door? What's your resting place? What's your net? Is it the hard ground? Is it the hindrances? Or do you have the safety net of the first jhana? Where the lowest you go is first jhana. 
but that's that, the enlightenment but it's it's either way like you can either do it through the first jhana or the fourth jhana it's like a pot like a two-way street yeah so why 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 bother doing it from the fourth jhana when you can just get really good at the first jhana and continually stay there all the time I wonder why. Is it because of the Westerners' attachment to numbers? Oh, I got a first jhana, but I want a fourth jhana. Well, if you say I've got a first jhana, but I want a fourth jhana, that's a hindrance. That's not jhana. There's no jhana, and I want a fourth jhana. In the first jhana, where you're Sorry. completely satisfied, first jhana, that's good enough. And if I fall into the other jhanas because I've got the right path to do so, Just like neighborhood concentration has various uses. If you're in the neighborhood of the first jhana, then you can get into the first jhana easily. But if you're in the first jhana substantially enough, then you're in the vicinity easy enough to fall into the second, the third, and the fourth jhana. Now, remember that the third and the fourth and uh, the second jhana don't have boundaries. They have attributes. And the attribute between the second and the third jhana is that the attribute of the second jhana is, wow, this is too good to be true. And I got a shot it from my inner tour. Wow, this is bliss is too much. And it is too much. And so we come out of that into a more relaxed state, which would then be the third jhana. But the mind is really, really fit for work in this state. It's like being able to see photos because the camera is really, really steady. Okay, so let's take it into another, another realm in the sense of looking at it from microscopes. That if you've got a, a camera on a microscope, that camera's got to be super, super steady in order to be able to get a good, clear image of what it's looking at. That's why electron microscopes take up half the room. Most of it is just trying to make some uh, heaviness that keeps the cameras very steady. You'd be surprised at how much agitation there comes from our environment. And so to get things really super steady, you need to have uh, the equipment that can stay that way. Well, the fourth jhana is like that. So you could say that um, the hindrances is wiggling all over the place monkey mind kind of stuff wiggling 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 fast and slow and up and down just a whole lot of wiggling going on with these hindrances in the first jhana we turn all of that wiggling noise into a kind of music we put things in tune we get things in meter we get things organized so that we can now have beautiful music in our life called the pleasures of the first jhana, which has the rapture and a pleasure born of seclusion from all of this noise. Now, that's the first jhana. But then we get it, and it takes us to that peak. But that peak is very, very busy with excitement, exhilaration, with that wow sensation, with all of that stuff that's referred to as pity. And we don't stay there very long. It's very energetic. But it's a whole lot more peaceful than a monkey mind. 
So we settle out of that peak place, out of that pity, into the third jhana, which is back to sukha. It's sort of like back to the base station. After we've, we've established a base station, we climb to the peak. After we come from the peak, we come back down to the base station, which is the peak is the pity, and the base station is the sukha. Okay, so that sukha then can melt even further down into peacefulness. And now when you're in real peace, you can really see things clearly. Because your camera, your eye is very, very steady. And that's when you can begin to actually inspect and see what is perception? What is consciousness? What is Nama Rupa? We can actually see these things in operation. Now, the joy that we have, the beauty that I can see is, is that the Buddha could figure this stuff out and then do it. And me, all I've got is the map and I can do it. But he was the one who did it originally. He wrote the map. And all we have to do is follow this map. The Paticca Samuppada is one way of the map. The other map is the four uh, jhanas. But they work together like this. It's like one is an infrared map and the other one is a light map. You know, like night vision goggles plus uh, vision. Or like in radio telescopes, they use radio frequencies, they use infrared, they use ultraviolet, and they use physical light. And they can get a very, very good image by having this, this wide spectrum of light. Okay, well, this is how we mean by getting the mind very, very stable. We can see perception itself. We can see how we come up with stuff. We can see how we put handles on things. We can see how we make signs. We put labels. That the uh, the sign the sin is is that means that we stop making uh, decisions about how things are. We're too busy enjoying the way that it is to try to even figure it out. This is why the the highest fetter of all is the fetter of ignorance which means that we're no longer caring about knowledge. We're just watching the show. We don't have to figure out the show. We're just watching the show. We're ignorant about all the discussions and all the um, commentary and all of that about the show. We don't know any of that kind of stuff. We're ignorant of it, but we're still watching the show. Go ahead, Daniel. So um, one thing you hear a lot uh, Vipassana uh, centers is they talk about cessation, like a moment of no consciousness. And after that, your mind comes online and then you have a fruition. So I was wondering yeah, how, how long do you going to stay in that cessation mode? That's the question, because the longer you stay in it and the more people who are around, the more dangerous it is to be in a state of cessation. Because cessation is very, very similar to, but quite different from being unconscious. But there it happens only for like one moment. So is it the same as the um, cessation in fourth jhana? Or is it a different kind of cessation? Well, we're talking about many different de uh, degrees of cessation. That in fact, when the mind is free of hindrances, the hindrances are in cessation. There's no hindrances there. When 
the pity melts back into sukha of the third jhana, then that means that the pity has now cessated. But most people never have that pity in the first place. They don't have that kind of uh, wow experience in life. They do from time to time. This is why they build, they, they go on vacation. They go to the mountains or they go to the uh, uh, Grand Canyon and they get that wow sensation. But they could have stayed home and had 30 wow sensations while they were on the way to the Grand Canyon before they ever got their first wow sensation. Okay. So that wowness. People go to the uh, to the mountains. They go to uh, uh, spectacular waterfalls to get that wowness, that awe, that spectacular input. And when you're looking at that stuff, you're not thinking. Then, in fact, you have to come out of it. One of the things that we see nowadays is that people will go and have that wow sensation, like for a sunset. You can have a wow sensation right here on this island in many different ways, and watching the sunsets is a way to have those wow sensations. All right. So, what do the people do instead? They get their cell phone out to take a picture of the sunset. But guess what? That photo is not going to record the wow sensation. It's just going to record the water and the sun and the and the clouds and the uh, the, the orange color. It's not going to photograph the wow sensation the person felt. So you bring those photographs home now, and he's showing them around, and he's saying, wow, look at that photo. And they look at it and say, so what? Ho-hum. Why? because they didn't have the wow sensation he had when he made that photo. So when he sprays out and displays that photo, he's going to have a reminiscence of that wow, and nobody else who sees that photo is going to have that wow. Why didn't that guy know that? He would have put that cell phone down and enjoyed his wow sensation a little longer. But oh no, he interrupted his wow so that he could take a photo. All right. Well, that's how we live our lives. We go around looking for wow sensations and then we don't enjoy them when we get them. But you can have that wow sensation, that Kundalini rising up your back, that uh, utterly being in love with reality. Having uh, what's his name? Uh, Satchmo. Uh, Louis Armstrong had that piece. What a wonderful world. That's that wow sensation. Wow, this is just too good. How can it possibly be this good? It's not because it is that possibly good. It's because I feel that good. That's the pity. That's the feeling. And we need to learn to control the feelings first in that putting them into that wow sensation, putting them into that uh, satisfying position, put our feelings in a neutral position, and then eventually stop the feelings altogether. The real sensation of the stopping of the feelings only can be done with the stopping of perception. Scott. Hello. Wow. Wow, what happened to you? You hey, look Scott. like something that they took out of the stomach of an alligator. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where what you been up to? Oh, I was just uh I went I went for a swim. 
so my hair is a little messed up from uh, oh. swimming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I perceived wet. It's wet inside yeah. an alligator. <laughs> yeah, it's really, um, it's really hot here. Really hot and humid. But it's, <laughs> it's in the hot and humid inside an alligator too. <laughs> yeah, it is. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Are you still in I saw a giant lizard like swimming in the in the I went to the park and uh, at the lake there, there was just like a giant lizard looked like a dinosaur. Apparently, there's lots yes, of it, they call them monitor lizards and they walk around here at about two feet long. But I think in Bangkok, they've got some granddaddies there that are about yeah. eight, <laughs> eight feet of monitor lizard. Yeah, yeah, they're big. So. We were just oh, talking about how to uh, feel good. Go ahead, Daniel. Uh, when you go to uh, Topangan, you can use my uh, motorcycle if you want. Oh, were you asking when, when am I going to Co the island? No, uh, he's offering yeah. a motorbike. Yeah, oh, thank you, brother. There. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> that. Yeah, I'm going to go down there um, like next week. Yeah. Oh, sweet. I was uh, I was telling Daniel that you you don't know how to drive, so I would say you know you you should you should ask I'll Daniel. First. Yeah, I, I won't yeah. crash your bike. Don't worry, I'm a good driver. Anybody who can snowboard can ride a motorbike. Yeah, I can, I, I I can figure it out. I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about balance, anyway. Yeah. Daniel, did we get your your questions covered of the relationship between the jhanas and Paticca Samupada? If it's taught that way, if you teach just jhana, if you teach just Samupada, Paticca Samupada, the students only get half the show. Yeah. Yeah, the real just... show is the combination that, in fact, Paticca Sabhapada is a roadmap of the jhanas, and the jhanas is the way of getting into the lower parts of Paticca Sabhapada, so that you could see that perception. Perception is the big deal. It has two words in Pali. One is the word sanya, and the other word is namarupa. I like the word namarupa because it, that means that we take something real, the rupa, and we put a name on it, we put a sign to it. And that naming and signing is what contacts us and we have feelings about the naming and signing that we do rather than the actual reality. The rupa we don't care about. We care about what we care about it. And how do we know how to care about it? We perceive that. We compare it to stuff in our past and we come up and this can take very little time at all so that we immediately don't like something. An example of that would be broccoli. I like the broccoli. first time. It, well, that's an acquired taste, though. Oh, that's true. I, I don't think I did like broccoli. I don't know. I don't remember. I would say even more so. Um, what is the cauliflower? That's also an acquired taste. What what's that that the, the one for sure? Uh, not cauliflower or broccoli. Brussels but, sprouts. Uh, Brussels sprouts. That's yeah. the one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, those God. are acquired taste. <laughs> those really require. Uh, Always loved it. 
Well, I, I, I bet you didn't always love it. The, the first reaction you had it, but then you learned to acquire the taste to it. That we instantly don't like things out of ignorance. But when we see it over and over again, we begin to put up with it. We get used to it. We get familiar with it. And that's that's what we mean by an acquired taste. Sometimes that taste like uh, broccoli and Brussels sprouts and uh, whatnot, learning to acquire a taste for those is wholesome and beneficial, good for your health. Acquiring a taste for being a bully and being angry all the time, unfortunately, is also an acquired taste, but it is not beneficial, it's not wholesome, it's not healthy. And so it's learned behavior. But in any case, we can learn to come out of that by catching ourselves going into those bad feelings. And that we get very good at it when we can catch ourselves at the manufacturing of our crap. What is in that manufacturing process we call perception. So if you could stop perceiving, which means you stop telling yourself stories about reality and just enjoy reality, that's the ultimate of what we can do in the fourth jhana is just be here now in the most literal sense possible. Because in the in the uh, uh, first jhana, we're still manufacturing. We're just choosing to manufacture wholesomely. Later, we can learn to stop manufacturing altogether, and that's the end of feelings. The question now is, is that do you even want to go there? I kind of like being able to manufacture wholesomely. I don't have much desire to go into those states. I do. I mean, it happens laying in bed and for a little while. Well, but that's all right. I'm too curious, so I, I got to do it. I guess I recommend yeah. it, but it's like it's it's weird. Like I don't know. It's like it just happens. It happens naturally. You can't really yeah. do it on purpose. Being in the vicinity, that's just it. Let us say that if you're two miles or two blocks away from a swimming pool, it's very unlikely for you to fall in that swimming pool. Right? But if right. you're there at the pool, if you're poolside, yeah. if you're looking over the edge of the pool, it's very easy to find up in the pool. Yeah. Where is the poolside? First jhana. First jhana is the pool side, and if you develop it well, it actually circles like a pool. And there you are in danger wherever you go of falling into nibbana. That's a good analogy. <laughs> so let's live Doesn't poolside. Sound too bad. <laughs> <laughs> About the first jhana. Um... Yeah, I, I always had like the idea that it was like an on and off switch. But the more I practice, I see like so many different states that are each very, very wholesome and like free from the hindrances. But yet they are, it's really different each time. And I'm like, is this for Jana? 
<laughs> then well, I had that thought, so it isn't. But uh, yeah, I guess you know what I mean. Like, so you really <laughs> develop it over time, right? Yeah. If, if you're having any thoughts, um, if those thoughts are wholesome, then you're in first jhana. But if you're having any thoughts at all, then you're not in any other jhana. Past first, because past first jhana, there's no thoughts. So you can mm -hmm. know right mm -hmm. away. I mean, whether you know a second, third, uh, fourth, that's a different story, but. Yeah. Uh, right. It's, 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 uh, Being in a state of no thought is dangerous in the sense that it's hard for people who are in no thought to know that they're in no thought. For a good example is recently, uh, Mitch McConnell was standing at the podium giving a speech and all of a sudden he stopped. And 45 seconds later, 45 seconds later, with all this video, they finally got him, got his hands off the podium because he was holding it like a walker and got him to go away. His mind, I mean, old people are like that. The mind just goes, and you don't even know what's happening. Scott, there was one time that happened with me when you were with me on a yeah. video. That was last year or something like that. It just went. Yeah. <laughs> and I knew I was in that state. Miss McConnell doesn't know it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so falling into these states, if you're in the neighborhood, if you're on that pool side, you can <laughs> fall into that pool easily enough. Sometimes. So, sometimes. I would I would uh, experience uh, something to not maybe not to that extreme, but um, at first I thought, oh, I'm dissociating. Like I thought of it as dissociation, and I did in like Western in Western uh, uh, paradigm. That's 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 kind of considered like a, a mental a mental illness to dissociate. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> but like dissociating can be a very uh, like uh, pleasant experience. Oh, very pleasant. Exactly. Let's get out of Dodge. This is too hot. Let's just take a mental vacation. Just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a potato. Uh huh. So these jhanas, in fact, what we're talking about are actually natural states. Swimming pools are all over the city. All you have to do is get out of the building that you're in and go poolside, and you're likely to fall into the pool. And the ways to do that is by getting the first jhana developed, being in the first jhana is poolside. And you could sit there and lounge and drink sodas and look at the girls and have conversation and everything, but you're right close to that pool, you better fall, you might fall in. <laughs> so that's another part of the analogy that you can recognize is, yeah, first jhana is really, really close to second, third, and fourth. All you're doing is removing factors. But we need to start living our lives poolside. Being in that first jhana, being happy all the time, don't matter what happens, don't matter how knee, doesn't matter how butt, it doesn't matter how foot. Whatever's going on, I can be happy with it. Intense pain, yeah, I see intense pain. Look at me, I can handle really intense pain. Let me make it even worse to make sure that I can handle tense, intense pain. It's our attitude. Well, 
I, I saw you, I was calling with you, and you were screaming pretty loudly with your dude. Yeah. Uh-huh. But so I was really wondering what that was like for you. Oh, and, uh, it was quite a surprise. Yeah, that that was right after I'd first heard it. And here I am trying to take it easy. And then you call and I got to move around. And that knee just did not want to move in that direction. And he told me so in a very loud, screamy voice, which I only had to repeat. I mean, I didn't perceive anything. That that sensation from the leg just came right out of the mouth. <laughs> But then we when got it. I located my shoulder. Uh, I wanted my mommy. It hurt so bad. <laughs> I was just like, oh, fuck, fuck, fuck. Like, I think I was just like, yeah, it was a lot of pain. It was, I, I don't know if I ha handled it. Like, uh, I mean, I'm still alive. So here I am. I handle yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, I can handle that pain. That's the attitude. Yeah, it don't matter how bad that pain is. Well, I can handle it. Yeah. Even the pain of death, I can handle that too. It's That's temporary. the attitude. It's, it's become it's not, fearless. Yeah. Go so ahead, Scott. Thing. It's like pain's not going to be enjoyable, but it's never permanent. All pain is temporary. Even even the pain of dying, right? Like mm -hmm. eventually, you die completely, and you're not going right. to be. Able can How do we know? On... Go ahead, Cat. Uh, How do we know death is actually painful, though? How do we know it's going to be painful when you actually die, you know? Well, some of it is and some of it's not. I mean, uh, I had a girlfriend one time who wanted to, because we were talking about this a long time ago, she wanted to die in her sleep. And I couldn't understand it. So what? You're going to miss the important number one thing that ever happens in your life. And you want to sleep through it? <laughs> no, I want to be there. You I want to have some like pain. Socrates. I want to get it, man. <laughs> uh, like Socrates, right, Domorado? Uh, pardon? Like Socrates. You want to feel the... Yeah, exactly. Was. He was doing Vipassana right there after he had taken the hemlock. He wouldn't shut up. He was having a ball with his friends, and so they gave him more hemlock. They wanted him out. And so there he laid down, and he's saying, oh, now I feel the tingling in the feet, and now I take weekly coming up and all of that. And he was giving a blow-by-blow -blow description of his body falling apart, rotting, and dying right there to his friends. And they had trouble keeping up with him. I don't know what it's like with hemlock. I've often con considered that that might be the right way to go. Hey, if Socrates can do it, so can I. But the one that seems the most appealing to me is crucifixion. What? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Life of Brian style. So we can stand up there uh, and says, always look okay. on the bright side of life. That's a good sketch. <laughs> Well, it has to do with the attitude. Can you have the attitude that you can handle anything? Can you live your life poolside? Because if you're in the first jhana a lot, falling into second and third and fourth jhana, easy peasy. If you don't have first jhana, that's when they lust for the second, third, and fourth jhana. Oh, first jhana is nothing. 
Well, if there's nothing, then why don't you have it? And so this is the right way to look at it is, is that um, th these higher jhanas, not important. The Buddha was a master at him and he still did not get out of his meditation with what he wanted. What he wanted was the elimination of suffering. And high jhanas are really pleasant abiding until you come out of them. And then where do you go? Back to the hindrance. And that's where the Buddha figured out the middle path. Ah, oh, the middle path is don't crash land into the hindrances when you come out of your happy states. Find a safety net. Come back into the first jhana. Let's stay in the first jhana. Let's be free from the hindrances. Let's be in a state of sukha, pleasure, safety, security. And occasionally, that wow, that wow sensation. And so the first real big ob object that we have to do is to be able to learn to get into the first jhana. And then the second part would be learning how to sustain that second jhana. Applied and sustained thought happen not only in the moment, but it also happens big time over time. The skill you develop will help you being able to get into a really happy state quickly. And then we learn how to stay in that happy state longer periods of time. And that's the issue of the Buddha. It's not how high can you go. It's can you fly pretty close to the ground without ever hitting anything. That's the first jhana. It's just getting ourselves off the ground. Let's go fly. But we can't fly too high. Ever how high you go, you still got to come down. The question is, are you going to come down to a low altitude? Or are you going to crash land? Because what is the crash landing? Back into the hindrances again. That's what was going on with the Buddha. Ever how high he flew into the fourth jhana, there was always a crash land. Until he figured it out in Bodh Gaya. And part of that figuring out is, aha, I see you, Myra. Aha, I see you. And so he started developing the first jhana as a lifestyle, as a moment by moment lifestyle, as opposed to occasionally going into the very high jhanas and then crash land when you come back out. This is why the Buddha refers to the, four, the first jhana as the path to enlightenment. You've got to develop it and develop it and develop it so it's rock solid, it's unperturbable. That's how you live your life. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people think first jhana is something that you get into when you're in a formal sitting meditation, but that's not, it's like, it has to be like, you, like you should be doing it all as, as all day. You know, like, how is it going to only happen when you're down and miserable the day? Like, that doesn't even make sense. Mm-hmm. Well, the answer that you're putting is, is that, yeah, but we got to do it both ways. The very beginner is going to be hard to get his mind applied enough that he can get into first jhana. And then it's very tentative and he falls back out. And now he wants it and the harder he wants first jhana, the less likely he's going to get it. Because one of the qualities of first jhana is satisfaction. And if he's dissatisfied, 
no John is going to be there. You have to find a way of getting yourself satisfied and then working with staying satisfied. You're okay the way things are. Yeah, for me personally, doing that while sitting down and doing nothing else was was much harder than like let's say going for a walk in the park or something. So like mm -hmm. I I could if I did it try to sit down, um I couldn't uh, as easily get into a wholesome state of mind as I could uh, just walking around. But once I could uh, get into a wholesome state of mind more frequently, then uh, sitting down was just like the gaps between uh, already being in a wholesome state of mind. So I was able to do it while I sit down and do nothing mm -hmm. more. But at first, right. it was, if, whenever I tried to meditate, like, okay, I'm going to sit down and meditate now, I would just get a big pile of dukkha. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, what you're talking about, though, Scott, is very typical. This is why meditation is so hard for so many people. It's because they don't recognize that, hey, we need to practice this every time we remember to practice it, not right. just when we're sitting. Yeah. But you have to learn to develop not just when you were sitting, but out walking, talking, Watching uh -huh. the mosquito bites your feet, which is what I'm having doing right now, and I'm okay with that. Then you be okay with what's happening right now. That's the whole point of the first jhana is getting yourself into a state of satisfaction and you're satisfied with everything. Yeah, one of the best things I heard was uh, some, I read this like a long time ago, is that you're not going to... Uh, do like you're not getting up for meditation then going walking it's just you're shifting your body around in different positions like you're not dropping your mindfulness to go and do something like now i'm going for meditation i appear and then i'll go back to meditation that's so helpful to read mm -hmm. yeah, it's so, so helpful. yeah the reality is your whole life becomes a meditation your whole life becomes music you keep your instrument uh tuned and you keep playing with it <laughs> Well, guys, this has been a really delightful talk. I really enjoyed this. I think that Kat, you've gotten quite a lot out of it, but Daniel, you also. This has been a good yeah, talk. Yeah, for sure. To you. Yeah, very good. And it's yeah, exactly what what's going on with me now, living in the world, just practicing, practicing the first genre over and over, and I'm yeah. really starting to get it. Like uh, a big part of the day, yeah, I spent in wholesome states, and the dukkha is not that strong anymore. Excellent. Like yesterday, yesterday I sat down and it was like, oh, everything is so nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this stuff works, guys. It really works. It it works. The the, the, the trick, uh, you keep forgetting that this is the only thing that works and nothing else does. Because yeah. you get into first jhana and you'll be like, wait a sec, I want something else too now. So then you want something else, get out of first jhana. You forget that anything in the world that you want won't get the satisfaction of literally first jhana. So, mm -hmm. like, you have to remember that nothing else is as good as first jhana. No, no sex, no girl you meet, no food, nothing. Like, yeah. Well, a fully developed first jhana is better than the first jhana, isn't it? Well, those pretty legs <laughs> take you right out of first jhana. Well, I want them things. Yeah, I want that. So then yeah, I want that. You know, uh, <laughs> state of lack yeah you want something 
So the trick is, is can you enjoy the beauty without wanting it? This is one of the important uh, lessons that I learned from uh, Achan Tomato. Yeah, they're gorgeous, oh, but I don't want them. Because yeah. if you want it, you you lose your first jhana. Yeah, but you have to also see that you like it, you know? Yeah, Recognize when you're in legs. first jhana, you can like it. Wow, those legs are beautiful. And them tits. <laughs> honey, 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 honey. Haba, 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 haba. That's the way that Ro Robert Williams would express himself. Okay. But the reality is, is that we're not going to get them. Why should we want them? And if I did get those things, what would I do with all four of them things? Both the legs and the tits? That's just too much. <laughs> so we can like the beauty. I mean, she wants you to think that she's beautiful. She spent money on that outfit and those clothes and the, uh, the makeup and whatnot. She wants to be beautiful. Allow her the beauty. She's beautiful. I just don't want her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's a good approach. That's good advice. Yeah, yeah thank you. Just don't want it. It's gorgeous, <laughs> but I don't want it. <laughs> uh, uh, thank you, Dom Prado. Yeah, I'm, great, I'm guys. Oh. We'll see you in a couple of days when you get down here. Yeah, yeah, we'll do. I get, wow, that's great. Here, Pedro, guess what? You're the only one that's not in Thailand right now. Hint, hint. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. See ya. Bye bye. What a wonderful talk bye. today. See ya. Yeah, it was great. Thanks. Bye bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs>